Thank you, Tim. Thank you very much. Um, there was something that I had initially been thinking about talking about and then decided not to because it would just fill the, the talk up too much. It would be too long, which just seems really relevant to mention now um, because partway through the time that we were spending in worshipping, I was thinking, I don't feel worthy to be able to approach God in the way that I'd like to be able to. And um, there's a truth in the Bible that I have been reading about uh, and I was thinking about bringing today, but there wasn't space. But I just want to touch on it now. We don't have to be worthy because the thing that God the Father looks at when we approach him is his son's blood. That's it. We don't have to do more than just say, I believe, even though my faith is weak. Help me in my unbelief. And when God looks at us, he sees us as clean if we've done that because he sees the shed blood of his son for our worthiness. There's nothing more that we have to do. There's no way we can earn our way into his presence. And there's no need to doubt because of that. It's amazing. He sees us as immensely valuable because we're his children, but we don't have to prove it. We just have to say, I believe in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So good. Uh, and there's a, a verse that um, I was wondering whether I would start with it, which just seems to fit with this so well. I've been reading through the Bible in a year, doing different sections each day, uh, and I came upon this amazing verse in a psalm, Psalm 102, a couple of weeks, or a week or so ago. And it's, it kind of, it looks right forward. The writer of the psalm, Psalm 102, um, I'm not quite sure who it was, I didn't look it up. Uh, and it's on page 605 if you're looking in church Bibles, I hope. Unless the version I was looking at is different. Um, it says an amazing thing. Let me just read it and then I'll pray. Uh, Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created can praise the Lord. And then there's a colon, and then it's this. Let this be written. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and to release those condemned to death. And that was us, wasn't it? Before we believed, before we called on the name of Jesus, that was us condemned to death, shut out from heaven. And this was written 2,000 years ago. And it's probably looking at people in the next few generations in the Old Testament. But as in all prophetic writings, there's often a double meeting, a meaning looking right forward to us. We have been released from con being condemned to death. We have life because of that blood shed for us. So... That, that was my start, which is actually not part of my main message. I wasn't sure about those verses, but it just seemed right. Um, so I want to now get onto the track of what I want to talk about, which, as Tim was saying, is about our witness and evangelism and, and outreach and so on, with a short story. A Christian couple invited a family for a meal with them. And as often is the case, they were thinking, what should we do about saying grace? Have you ever had that when you invited a family that, that doesn't know Jesus? Should we say it or should we say it? So the, the mother said, ah, 
I'll try this. So she said to Charlie, their young son, Charlie, could you say grace and give thanks for our meal, please? And Charlie folded his arms and said, no. <laughs> she said, oh, Charlie, please. Um, it'd be really nice if you just said grace before the meal for us. Little face. So she said desperately, uh, Charlie, just just say what Dad said this morning in his prayer for breakfast, okay? So Charlie's face lit up and he went, and he closed his eyes and he went, Oh Lord, you know we've got these awful people coming to lunch today. <laughs> Awkward. Hope that's never happened to you. <laughs> uh, but that sort of uh, <laughs> sets the scene for me in a way of uh, what I want to talk about. Um, we have been called to shine. Uh, we've been talking about shining a little bit over the, the weeks and months, and uh, shining as in for Jesus, our witness. And when people see us, they see God reflected in us, which is what he wants. Uh, we have been called to shine. Everybody who believes in Jesus in here, today and I'm looking around and I, th I, I think that everybody does and if you don't that's what Christians have been called to to bear witness to what's been done and what's the change that's taken place in our hearts and our lives completely let me read out a, a verse that says that it's in Philippians 2 it's a lovely verse I know it's one of Sylvia's favorite verses uh, it's on page 1179, if you're looking in the church Bible. Philippians 2, 12 to 6. Let me just remind you what it says. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Uh, isn't that wonderful? Do all that, then we can shine. And I love the last little bit, as you hold firmly to the word of life. The word in the Bible is sometimes Jesus, so we hold on to Jesus, but it's also the Bible. We need to have the word and hold on to it cling on to it because it's the truth and there's another verse that's uh, similar to that is there yeah oh yes and we need also to be able to give a reason an explanation for the hope that we have in Jesus and I just want to read out a couple of verses to remind you where it says that uh, one of them is in Colossians chapter 4 which is on page 1184 it's not far just a bit further from where you were if you got to Philippians Sorry, I didn't give people enough time uh, to, to go to the Philippians one. It's Colossians 4, verses 5 to 6, page 1184. And it says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And then another one that's like it, written by Peter, this one. That last one was uh, Paul writing to the Colossian people. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, which is on page 1219. It's a nice little one too. So 1 Peter 3 verse 15. 
In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I put in brackets, in Christ. That's what we're called to do, those two verses. That's everybody. Now, there are some people who God calls to be an evangelist. And uh, if you are one of those, you probably know it and you feel it and you've been uh, going for it. But perhaps it's a new thing that's just been birthed in you. Maybe after Tim was talking last week, if you were here, and you haven't felt God saying, I want you to be principally somebody who goes out onto the street to talk to people. Maybe that's stirring up in you. And I know uh, Sylvia's had that on her life for ages and forever, probably. Uh, I know John's got that, and, and uh, he's brave and goes out and has had an, a pretty amazing time a couple of times recently out on the streets. And I know there are others who do the same. But not everyone's called to that, which in a way is quite a relief. Because there are plenty of other things that God has for us to be about. Looking after our families, teaching each other, serving each other, helping the church to function properly. The post of an evangelist is one of the many callings, but it's a specific one that, that God gives. And uh, Paul, the, the great super, uh, what was he, apostle, was an evangelist. Let me just... Uh, read a couple of references. Colossians chapter 4, so it's uh, where we are, go back to the, the previous one. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, which is on page 1184 again, verses 3 to 4. This is Paul, who's in prison in Rome. Uh, he's there because he was, uh, he, he called on Caesar. He was going to be killed by the Jews, and he's there in prison, but still proclaiming and still passionate about Jesus. And he says to the Colossians, pray for us, so him and the people who are with him, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for whom I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. And then way back in Romans chapter 1, um, just one, two verses, page 1128, if you want to turn to it, is something which I've read lots of times. How many times have you read through Romans? Probably 10, 20, 30, I should think. But I've never really got right at the beginning of it. It's one that we sort of pass over when we read the, the letters because they all say the same sort of thing at the beginning. But this one says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul was set apart specifically by God through that amazing experience he had on the road to Damascus, you remember it, to be an apostle and to be an evangelist for the good news of God. The gospel he promised beforehand, this is God, through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, Jesus. So some people are called specifically for evangelism, but we all are called every single one of us, which is a challenge and uh, it's slightly scary at times to give an account for why we believe. And so we need to know why we believe, which is where I move on to now, talking about what we need in order to be able to do what we have been called to do. We need faith, don't we? 
You can think of all the things that we need, but I'm going I'm to name a few of them uh, and then uh, move on to something um, to really focus on. We need faith through the help of the Holy Spirit and through the Word. The Holy Spirit brings the Word to life, so the two of them working together are what we need. It's the food, uh, well, the, the Word's the food, the Holy Spirit's the power working through us who helps us to be ready for the, the task that we have. We are given power. Um, Paul had amazing power working in him, and we can have the same Holy Spirit's power working in us. We can be so much more than we already are in our experience. Uh, don't bother turning to this one, but it's in Colossians chapter 1, just a couple of verses I'm going to read about Paul's power. Um, and he, he was just talking about what he did. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, and here it is, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That we want that energy powerfully working in us to do what he wants us to do. Yes, we do. We need it. Without it, we're, we're not effective. So, we need to know God, and we get close to him by reading the word. And um, I think we've read out Psalm 103 a few times, and we've certainly had it written on our WhatsApp group now and again, our fellowship group, which talks about God's great love and care for us. But it talks about Moses knowing God's character, God's ways, and the people knowing God's deeds. We need to know what God's ways are like. We need to know what he's like. We need to know what he does too, how he works, what he's done already to save us, and what he promises in the future for us. We need to know who we are. Ephesians 2 says that we who were once far away, not included in God's family, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. There it is again. We are now in God's family because of what he's done for us. We need to know how to live. We need to know what our future hope is so that we can be excited about it. And we need to know what our purpose is. And all of these things come through reading the Word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, our purpose is an interesting one. Has anybody heard of the book, The Purpose Driven Life? A few people have read it and probably... Uh, take it in some of the teaching I certainly have and I've certainly applied it there is what um, Rick Warren who's the leader of um, Saddleback Church in America said a primary purpose in your spiritual life that God has for you and there are lots of secondary purposes and, and I was talking to my dear friend Chris this morning about something that he's, he's working at here which he doesn't really enjoy doing, but it's a secondary purpose that he said, yes, I'm going to do this because it's what's needed at the moment. And I thank God for you, Chris, for doing that. Uh, for this time, may not be the thing that you love. It may not be the thing that you feel God's really given you to do, but you're knuckling down. And every one of us can be involved in secondary purposes, like those lists that Tim put out at the back, or, uh, down at the back for you to sign up to. Things you may not really want to do, but things that need to be done. But God has for each of us a primary purpose. That's, that's what Rick Warren reckons. I'm not sure the Bible puts it quite like that specifically. But it's good to try and discern what your 
primary purpose is. And I, um, for some years, quite a long time, felt that my primary purpose was to pastor and look after people and help people. Um, and I was in a church where there was a, a hole and there was no church secretary. <laughs> exactly the same that we, we find ourselves in at the moment. And uh, I, I was sort of working in a job where I was assistant um, secretary to a charity. And I could sort of do it. And I said, like, like Chris is doing, okay, I can do it for a while. But one day I said to the pastor, this isn't really me, you know. This is not my primary purpose. And within two weeks, happily, he had found somebody else and released me to my primary purpose. So it's important to do what we need to do when we need to do it, but then to recognize that there might be a time to say, what is my primary purpose? And I just want to pray now, uh, if that's a new idea for anybody, that you will be inspired by God to say, to, to know what it is that he really wants you to be doing, amongst all the other things that you need to be involved with for the life of the church. So pray with me as I do that. Lord God, you have dispersed gifts and purposes and uh, all your plans uh, in amongst your people. And we would love to know, Lord God, what it is that you are particularly putting in us or what has been there for a while that is stirring that needs to be acknowledged and released. Lord, please do help us to know what it is particularly that you want us to be doing at this time. And also, Lord, help us to be wise to know whether to say yes or no to those other secondary purposes that there, that there are, that are offered to us. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I just cantered through all the things that we need to know so that we can do our work of shining effectively. And all of these are helped by reading the word and prayer and the Holy Spirit's working in us. The word consolidates all of those things I've just been talking about. It helps us to believe and know truth, which boosts our faith, boosts our confidence, and enables us to be more confident to speak about Jesus, which is so important, isn't it? Um, and I want to turn to Nicola now to tell a story which she heard from a friend of hers, which I heard from Nicola, and I think it's really applicable now. So I'm going to hand, it, hand the mic to you. I was um, hearing a talk um, at a prayer day. It's quite high up here, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, by a lady called Gay who leads the meeting, who's about 70. And um, when she's leading the meeting, she always looks quite sort of smart because she's leading the meeting. And she was exhorting us to hunger for the word. And she gave this illustration. Um, and she was invited um, a little while ago to, uh, to lead a meeting in a, in a farmer's house. And the, the farmer's wife had gathered the um, people. She turned up um, in good time and dressed you know, smartly, heels and skirt to, to lead this meeting. And the the lady whose house she went to wasn't quite ready. So, but she said, oh, come in, come in. And then she said, um, could you help me? I've got um, two sheep, two, sorry, two lambs that need feeding. Could you? And, and Gay said she'd always wanted to feed 
lambs, and she had images of you know the lambs in her in her arms and feeding with the bottle. And um, so she said yes, thinking, oh my goodness, my my outfit, but never mind, <laughs> I need to help this lady. And so she was given the bottles, and and the um, the lady said, just go out the back and. Um, in the corner of the yard, you'll you'll see the the lambs. So she she went out there, and there was this fence. And the other side of the fence were these two, what she could only describe of as sheep. She said they were like almost fully grown lambs. And she'd got these bottles, and she kind of hoiked up her skirt and jumped over the fence. And she said to the to the farmer's wife, she said, "I've never done this before." fed sheep. She said, oh, don't worry, just hold the bottles, they'll do everything. So she got <laughs> over the, the fence and she was holding these two bottles. And she, she had the two bottles here and the sheep, the lambs, just rushed to her and within and golloped the bottles. She was sort of pinned to the fence. It was such a funny image because she's quite a smart lady imagining her in this situation with these sheep you know, guzzling the bottle, and within seconds, it was over, and they drunk. And she said, that's hunger. That eagerness, that keenness, that enthusiasm, that passion, that's the hunger we need to have for God's word, which is our life, our very life. Thank you. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? And how true. I want to um, just lead you through a Bible in a year day that I experienced the other day, just to show you what it's like. God opening up the Word. And I have to say, sometimes when I'm doing it, I don't really see anything in the Word. I read it, I say, I, I kind of know all that, that's great. But on this particular day, it was as if God was showing me that, and then that, and then, then and I ended up thinking... I get it now, and I've always wondered about it. So I hope you won't mind if I just uh, go through it. Uh, and those of you who have been doing a Bible in a year might uh, know the ones that I, on the day that I was talking about. It's about a week ago. And uh, it starts off in Psalm 106. So if you, if you turn to page 609, hopefully you'll find Psalm 106. And it's about the, the uh, uh, it's just mentioning when the people worshipped the golden calf at Mount Horeb when they were going through the, the wilderness, if you remember that. And the verse I want you to look at to start with is verse 20. And verse 19 as well. The people worshipped the golden calf. And then verse 20, they exchanged their glory, which... I, when I looked it up, it suggests glorious one, in other words, God, for an image of a bull which eats grass. I never really noticed that, which eats grass before. I think I've read this psalm quite a few times. And I thought, oh, yes, of course, they worship something that eats grass. That's ridiculous. Has anybody seen uh, the film Puss in Boots? He's the greatest swordsman, Puss in Boots, isn't he? He's a, little, he's a little character, he's a cat, about that big, but he's great at sword fighting. And when he's about to fight somebody, he gets a drink, and he's got a cup of milk, and he goes like this, with his little tongue. It's just so ridiculous. 
I imagined people worshipping a bull as it's eating the grass in the field. And it's not even a bull, it was a calf. Somehow it makes it a bit more worthy of admiration, maybe being powerful, a bull. But even so, it's still a bull that eats grass. How ridiculous. And God, because the people who were called by him were worshipping a bull, uh, if you were reading through that psalm, you'd see that he punishes them quite severely with a plague and various other things that I don't want to uh, go into. And it occurred to me as I was reading this, and it's probably occurred to everybody here at some stage, that God's quite violent in the Old Tem Testament. And I thought to myself, yeah, but that's not what you're like, is it? You were then. But then I thought of Jesus, who in the New Testament in Hebrews is the exact representation of the Father. It says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus doesn't just look like the Father, but he sustains all things. So he's like the Father, he's got his power. And I was thinking, that's amazing. God's so violent in the Old Testament at times, but so loving and yet so gentle in the New Testament, and I was just pondering that. And then I thought to myself, yeah, but there are loads of places in the Old Testament where you are wonderful, God. And in, in Psalm 107, just the next psalm, you'll see it starts off with how God helps people through all sorts of difficulties. And that psalm is just an amazing litany, uh, uh, litany of people coming up with really difficult situations, calling out to God, and he rescues them time after time. Psalm 103, which I've already mentioned, is just so full of God's love for us and his dealing with sin as far as the east is from the west. So I thought to myself, God must be righteous and just and loving, and his righteous anger must be just right for the situation. So I pondered that for a while. And then I came to further on in Psalm 106, verses 34 to 39, where it said, uh, where it talks about God punishing Israel for not destroying the nations in Canaan, saying that they took up the worship of idols and sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. I thought that's why God wants those nations to be destroyed because if they're not, Israel's just going to start doing the same thing, which they did. It's horrific. And I was just, God was just showing me, I think, and, and uh, feeling very, oh, so that's what you're like. That's why you did it. And then I recalled in Deuteronomy, when, where once I was thinking, God, is there in the Bible somewhere where it talks about why you did what you did to the Canaanite people? Why you allowed Israel to destroy them? And in Deuteronomy 9, verse 5, I wonder if you know this one. Uh, it says, Israel, it's not because of your righteousness that I'm going to allow you to destroy all these people in Canaan. It's because of their great sin, and this is my dealing with it. So don't think it's because of your righteousness. This is my purposes for dealing with people who are unrepentant 
and who need to be destroyed because of the evil that they have in them. Have you ever heard, seen that verse before? Ever tried to figure out why did God do that? These thoughts were going through my mind as I was reading through these verses. And then I came a little bit further on in Psalm 106 to verses 43 to 46, where it talks about how God so often forgave the Israelites. It says, many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. Yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and out of his great love he relented. He caused all who held them captive to show them mercy. Isn't that an amazing thing? Every time the Israelites were beaten, defeated, carried off, God was supernaturally not allowing them to be destroyed completely, causing their captives to show them mercy. Isn't that amazing? All these things. Understanding was coming gradually through reading in the, in the Word. And then I came to the New Testament reading of the day, which was 1 Corinthians 10, and the very first words that were there were, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And I thought, that's it. God was making the point. Uh, and I, I, I write notes. I've got a journal. I just write Bible notes when I'm going through my uh, word for the day. Uh, and at the end of it, I wrote down, wow, thank you, Lord, for taking me through all of that and just showing me and helping me understand why you're like you are, why you did what you did in the Old Testament, that you're good, actually, despite um, what people might say about you. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, some weeks you read the word, I read the word, and we don't get anything particularly out of it, but God wants to reveal things to us. And if we give him time, and don't just skate over things as we're reading through the Bible, and pray and ask him to, he will reveal mysteries to us. Maybe that we've never read. Maybe that when we talk to people, nobody else has ever seen in there. And you think, that's amazing. He's showing me new things that, that no one's told me about before. And he does that because his Bible is full of stuff and we'll never know the, the full of it. So, I had great excitement and occasionally, just recently, I found myself coming to a word and rather than thinking, oh, I wonder what that means, I say, oh, I'm looking forward to what, finding out what that means. There's a new something stirring in me. Uh, and I, I pray that that stirs for all of us too, that we actually are excited about the word and rather than puzzled and leave aside things that, we, that don't seem to make sense, we actually have an excitement about finding out what they mean because God's word is good and it's the food that we need desperately, if only we knew it. And I'm telling you, we do. And I'm saying it to myself too. You do. You need it. So, I pray for excitement for us all, for the Word, because it helps us to grow in our relationship with God, in our faith, in our knowledge of the truth, in our confidence, in our supernatural power. As faith comes, we are more powerful because we believe it. We expect God to be working in all sorts of different ways in us. And it helps us to advance the kingdom. And, looping back to the beginning of the talk, helps us to shine. 
because dross falls away. Things that God doesn't want us to be involved with, we're not involved with anymore. We're more for him, more focused on what he wants us to do. Um, and I've finished, and I just want to pray. Three things I want to pray. I want to pray that we will have a passion for the word and that the Spirit will stir our desire to be good witnesses for him in the places that we are, in our workplaces, in our family lives, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. And also, I want to pray specifically for anybody who feels that God is calling them or already has called them to be an evangelist. And I'm going to invite people to go around and pray to anyone who feels that particularly to stir up, up that gift. So the first one, and actually if any of the leaders want to, if, if you want to say a prayer for any of these things, feel free. Uh, or uh, as you're leading the, the final song, you guys, then maybe um, you might want to pray as well. Yeah. But let me pray for um, a passion for the word first. Lord God, we do believe that your word is food, the food that we need. You've told us to feed on the word. You've told us that the word is life. You've told us to hunger after it. Lord, please help us. And we know, we believe that as we do, you'll reveal it to us by your spirit. And Holy Spirit, would you please give us a passion to shine for you, a real desire to say no to the things that you don't like so that guilt is not there. Help us to understand how much you love us, so even when we feel guilt, we can just turn and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I trust the blood of Jesus to, to cleanse me so that I don't feel guilty, so that I feel I can confidently approach you and talk about you to other people. Holy Spirit, please do that work in us. In Jesus' name. And could I ask, is, is anybody who feels that God is saying, I really feel that I want to be an evangelist, or he's stirring that in me, or anybody who has been doing that for a long time, and I'm anticipating Sylvia and John both being putting your hands up, even if tentatively, but I, I, you know, I'm sure it's right, John. Is there anybody else who, Celine, yes, of course. Let us please, a few of us, gather around John, Sylvia, and Celine and pray for their passion and their calling to be really lit up even more powerfully than it is so that they have the strength and ability and uh, opportunities to do what God's calling them to do. So one or two people gather around John and a couple of people go and pray with Celine as well, please. And with Sylvia as well. Uh, and if anyone else thinks, actually, I, I think I'm mainly an evangelist, it's not too late to put your hand up. If you feel it stirring in you, then keep praying. Okay, that's all I say. Right, so whilst we're singing this last song, you guys around those, can you just say some prayer for them, please? Yeah, thank you. <laughs>